Welcome to the new Health Club podcast. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous and you should not do drugs. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs may be punishable by law. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. This episode of the new Health Club podcast is part of our special Heal Soul series, which is sponsored by Dr. Bronner's, the activist soap company from California. Dr. Bronner's is a family-owned company founded in 1948 that's dedicated to honoring the vision of its founder, Emmanuel Bronner, by making personal care products of the highest quality and by dedicating profits to promote a better world for all. The Bronner family started making soap in 1858 here in Germany and carries on the family soap-making tradition today by using the company as an engine for progressive social change. Dr. Bronner's dedicates profits to organizations working in support of regenerative organic agriculture, animal rights, community betterment, criminal justice reform, fair pay and fair trade and drug policy reform, which includes the responsible and equitable integration of psychedelic medicine into American and global culture. For more information on Dr. Bronner's in Germany, please visit drbronner's.de. For more information on Dr. Bronner's globally and in the United States, please visit drbronner.com. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. My guest today is Daniel Carcillo, and he's a former professional NHL hockey player and two-time Stanley Cup champion who turned into a mental health, concussion traumatic brain injury, plant medicine, and fungi advocate. He's an experienced speaker on the above topics through lived and personal experience. He's a farmer and entrepreneur with a fully integrated cannabis and medicinal mushroom business. Also, Daniel is part of the decriminalized Chicago movement. During our podcast, Daniel was sitting in his car since his kids took over the house in the afternoon. So we really had the chance to talk about the hero dose of psilocybin Daniel was trying when his depression took over. We talk about his changing idea of being an athlete and how he changed after his personal mental health crisis and depression after leaving a successful but destructive career as an athlete has changed. And of course, how this led him into the decriminalized Chicago movement. So please enjoy the podcast with Daniel Carcillo. We're very happy to have Daniel Carcillo. <laughs> Is that the right pronunciation? Carcillo, Carcillo. Carcillo. Carcillo, okay. I think Carcillo is Argentinian. <laughs> yeah, that's the European way. Car like Carcillo is the Italian way. Okay, so, but is it Italian or is it Spanish? Italian. Italian, okay. Car so you say Carcillo, right? Carcillo, yeah. Carcillo, okay, perfect. So Daniel Carcillo, okay. Very happy to have you on the New Health Club podcast together with the Heal Soul sessions for Dr. Bronner's. And um, you are the, let's say, the main character if it comes to the decrim, decriminalization movement in Chicago, which is a very big one, as I researched before I started the show. So maybe you start to talk a little bit about yourself and of course how you got into this new endeavor after being an athlete for a long time yeah of course um 
Um, so thank you. And it's, it's nice to be here and it's a great campaign. So I'm glad to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks, uh, Bronner soaps for all they do. Um, but yeah, I'm, um, Daniel Carcillo and I played 12 years professionally in the NHL and was forced to retire due to post concussion syndrome, which brings on a whole host of ailments as far as anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, uh, head pressure, insomnia, slurred speech, blood sensitivity. So when I retired, I was really struggling. Nobody really talked about mental health or concussion and, and what could happen afterwards. And so post-retirement, just struggled for probably four or five, almost four years and tried, you know, every treatment under the sun as far as functional neurology and um, you know, self-deprivation tanks, MOXA, acupuncture, neurofeedback, TMS, um, spec scans, QEGs, and nothing was working. I wasn't regaining my quality of life or my brain health. And a year ago, I came across plant medicines and fungi. As far as uh, CBD goes, I was invited to a farm uh, June 1 of last year to learn about genetics. And it was by a friend who knew I'd been struggling. And they introduced me to a hero dose of psilocybin. And that's really where I can pinpoint my life turning around. And throughout this journey, I tracked my progress with QEGs, with brain scans and blood work. And last June 1, before I did that treatment, I was in a really dark place because I'd I'd taken more tests and just nothing was working and a lot of money spent, a lot of time put towards it and I wasn't getting better. And after this ceremony at the farm, I just researched because I like to read a lot of medical papers and see um, if there's anything I can pinpoint that would work for me. And when I was reading about how trauma, emotional and physical, the concussion shut down areas of your brain, started to make sense to me as to why this psilocybin treatment could work because it stimulates different areas, specifically the frontal lobes. And so then I was, you know, just waiting. Uh, I like to put a lot of time under my belt before I come out and say anything. But um, around November, I got introduced to Carlos and Larry of the Decriminalized Nature Oakland uh, movement. And um, I decided to bring forward that resolution because it had been a substantial amount of time to where my communication levels with my wife got better. I wanted to be around my kids. Loud noises weren't affecting me. Slurred speech was gone. Um, My QEG at six months came back with no abnormalities. Uh, So I really made quite a turnaround and realized that this worked for me. And I was advocating on social media a lot for TBI and mental health and concussion, and I could realize that this could work for these communities as well. So brought forward the resolution and started to do an educational campaign behind the scenes with the city's aldermen. And we had two hearings set with Human and Health Committee, but COVID uh, pushed both of those back. So we're just kind of waiting in a holding period right now, uh, waiting for everything to open up and then uh, bring our presentation forward with um, a really diverse group of people that this medicine has helped and and just show how responsibly it can be used and how it can help to heal trauma and I think we look around this day and age it's it's um, a lot of people exhibiting a lot of anger and rightfully so and I think that we need to you know get back to original medicines and and 
find ways to integrate this type of life-saving therapy into our communities and traumatized communities. And I mean, your your story is very. I mean, if you if you look at a couple of videos you you did and, and even pictures, I mean, you also were very outspoken about how the NFL doesn't address anything like that. That it basically, yeah, I'm gonna say like it it, it hurts to the point players and athletes that their life is actually they can't retrace their life anymore after having the career in sports so i mean if you do something like this after being a long time in in let's say in a business or in a world like this it kind of probably leads to a lot of rejection that from people that you maybe you used to be friends with used to be your surrounding so i mean how exactly did that happen so and how did you let's say dare to to go forward with this so my friend passed away who was my oh. teammate and wow. my my best friend at the time he was cleared by a team uh, for four concussions he had a total of 19 concussions but he was cleared for his last four concussions in 12 weeks And it, he really went on a downward spiral after that. And I saw some of the same symptoms in him that I saw in me. I had seven concussions documented in the league. And I realized that nobody told us anything. Nobody, nobody warned us or told us the truth about the real risks of doing our job and the repetitive head trauma that we were sustaining, both through body checks on a daily basis and through headshots and fighting. And uh, that really pissed me off. <laughs> And I decided to do more research and just started to read, you know, the emails that were made public. There were 297 of them. And you could see how the league set those violence, hate, rivalries. And at the very least, you know, didn't do, didn't treat us with enough respect to tell us the information that they knew. And so we weren't able to make educated decisions about whether or not we should continue to play when we saw these signs and symptoms. And let alone seeing them, we couldn't recognize them because we were never educated on what they are and what the real risks are. And the real risks are, you know, losing your family and, and losing your sense of self and really struggling afterwards. And yeah, I don't have, you know, the same friends that um, I did while in the league, but that's okay. You know, I have, I have a small circle and people that know me, you know, um, I keep close to and and some people don't understand it. But, you know, the trials haven't happened yet either. So when the trials happen, then that information will be made public. And, you know, when I say it, I don't know if it carries as much weight just because a lot of people you can't they can't get over my past because I was a big perpetrator of this. I mean, I embodied that hate and rivalry and I. I fought and I was aggressive and I was everything that they wanted me to be. And I just, after you learn something and after you see somebody struggle and then you struggle personally and you see hundreds of other guys struggling around you, it's not just isolated incidences and it's not just enforcers. Um, there's superstars retiring now. I think they need to learn a lesson. And I think that the cases that are coming against them um, will hopefully hold their feet to the fire and, and then the public when it's in, Court of public opinion, I think when this information comes out and it's not delivered by my mouth, it'll have a, a different impact and people will realize, you know, the importance of doing this because it's sad to say, but professional hockey players right now, they're, you know, they're, they're in trouble, you know, they've never gotten treated. So they're going to have some type of mild cognitive impairment when they leave the game. That's just normal. And so it just depends on how bad, badly, like it can affect their life and how quickly they get, they get treatment. 
And it's for kids and parents so that they know, you know, the real risks. And, you know, they've done some good things like moving the body checking up to 14. But I think there really needs to be more education on how to recover from a concussion and the time frame. And, you know, if, if, if this is a bruise on the brain, essentially, or tears to the, to the white matter of the brain, I think it takes a little longer than seven days to heal. And those are the current <laughs> guidelines. But then wow. you delve into who these doctors are and a lot of them work have like really strong relationships to collision sports. So, uh, it's, um, it's a long road, but, uh, you know, we stay the course and I have a lot of really great things around me that I, I I'm not solely, you know, 100% putting all my energy to that every single day, but you know, my lawyer has been in touch recently and I'm like, you know, critical witness with Steve Monador's case. And so I really, I think it could change the world. You know, I really do. I think it can, there's no such thing as a sports related concussion or, you know, it's just a concussion. There's no such thing as a car accident concussion. They just call it a concussion, hmm. you know? And so I just want people to be educated about it. You know? I mean, after your, you call it like hero dose of psilocybin. So would you say that, I mean, obviously that, that happened that after this, you got involved into the decriminalized movement or were you in touch with that before? Or was it something that was kind of leading you in a very, in, in this, in this direction, actually? No, it was a surprise, a total surprise that I was going to do that on <laughs> that night. And, you know, I guess they always say like the medicine calls you and, you know, uh, a friend just introduced me to it and I was in the mm -hmm. right place at the right time. But afterwards, I'm the type of mind that needs to like, I need to delve in. I need to know why it's working for me. If it works for me, that means it possibly worked for other people. And mm -hmm. I was an extreme case. So it works so well that I think, you know, we're, I'm doing things on the back end about, you know, the advocacy work and, 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 you know, exploring other avenues of really getting this type of treatment to people. And yeah, it's, it was after, The hero dose, when, when I started to like show people that I was healthy, I think that's the biggest thing. They could see it. They could hear it. The research came, the science, and then it started making a lot of sense to me. And then it was, okay, how do I now get behind it and use my platform mm -hmm. for, um, to push this education and information as a possible tool? It's not the only tool because there's other things I changed, you know, and added into my life like intermittent fasting and, you know, watching my refined white sugar intake and, There's other things that go along with this, but it's um, it's a pretty amazing tool if you can if you can add it to a holistic uh, regimen for your for your lifestyle and for brain function and for just optimizing everything like your relationships and your creativity your energy levels. It's yeah, it's, it's really amazing. So, and what was your first step after you've done this, and then you realize okay, you want to kind of communicate this also to other people or even like in, in obviously in a political context. So what, what was the moment when you thought, okay, you want to be part of this decriminalized movement? Because I mean, it's also, it's hard work also to keep coming back and talking to people who think it's like crazy stuff, psychedelics. So like you kind of have to repeat yourself many times. How did you get into your, let's say, let's call it your new life as a de decrim pro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you call me that. I'm, you know, a Canadian guy, and um, I'm just learning. But you know, I have a really great alderman with Brian Hopkins, and a, and a great relationship with him. And we've just been doing our best 
to let the science speak and with the written and, and um, oral testimony that's already been submitted and the science and the, the links to the papers. And we're just trying to show people that, especially for this city, it could work for the recidivism rate and for the opiate crisis. And so education is first and foremost, but educating those people that are going to vote on it. And their biggest concern is the safety and efficacy. And that's been proven numerous times now in, in these publications from you know, organizations like John Hopkins and NYU mm-hmm. Imperial College of London. So the safety's there and now just the education is needed. Um, but, you know, you find time when something like this saves your life and you know how close you were to um, ending your life. It's, it has to work. It's, it's, I know it's going to work for other people and it's a natural remedy and it's, um, yeah, it's just really exciting. How did you get in touch with Dr. Branas? How did, how did that happen? I think that was through Kevin Matthews and Spore. We spoke and um, they told me about what they were doing uh, and thinking about doing and how they were going to integrate into the decrim nature sphere and, and support that. And everyone was going to support each other. And so the company's amazing, the way that it's structured and um, everything about it, especially me having a young company. It's just a nice a nice model to follow. And, and so, um, yeah, we've, we've struck up that type of relationship. I've offered my story. Uh, we just did a really great boot camp, and, uh, and he's really helped out on, on my foundation and with chapter five as well. So yeah, he's just a, he's a great asset to, to, you know, have alongside in, in this fight for decriminalization. I mean, I talked to Melissa Lavasani from Washington Decrim Department. <laughs> so, and I mean, I found it interesting that her, let's call it like strategy, is that without that she knew it would be a strategy, that first of all, she's this, like she says, like she's so the super normal mom with two kids that helps a lot to talk to people. And then also um, the other thing is that she... Um, said she talks or tries to engage with as much Republicans as possible because if you <laughs> have these two kind of things covered, people that actually see that would actually start to respond differently to a person talking about the healing powers of psychedelics. I mean, her story is also very, um, you know, like she basically also said that she was very suicidal and this was the only thing that helped her after having her, I think, second child. So um, how do you actually proceed in, in your case? Do you, do you try to, but do you have this thing like you, you talk to everybody or do you try to convince a special group of people where you think that makes really sense to get them on your team? Yeah, I think... I think convincing naysayers is important, um, and and it's not their fault. We've all, in some way, shape, or form, been, you know, had this stigmatized message about these medicines in our mind. I know I have, and I'm 35, and I'm sure you have. And yeah, you know, um, this stuff's poison for your brain, and and it's a gateway drug, and and so I think just showing people science. That's why I really like. How the science leads the way here, showing safety and efficacy. So showing people that, and they can't, it's not like me telling them. And and then there's also people that, you know, feel passionately about this, but are scared to talk about it, you know, and scared to come out. And so, you know, talking to them is, you know, just convincing them 
of the good that they can do and and that you know this type of movement is really important to be able to get people this this knowledge and this this framework of this grow gather and gift model that Oakland believes so strongly in and the decriminalized nature movement believes in and um, this is the the first step to real change so we you know we are targeting I mean for the most part right now the aldermen that are going to be voting on this and then you know obviously with everything that's happened slowed down on the engagement but um, active on social media and anybody you know, is interested in reaching out, it's um, decriminalized Chicago at gmail.com. And mm-hmm. uh, please do. And yeah, the I'm sure once everything starts opening up, we're gonna start with a ramp up the the public side of the campaign. So that means you're gonna go on the stage in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, right. On the a festival. Yeah, I mean, the, the future of theaters is uncertain, I guess. Um, but I mean, that's an interesting oh, no. question, actually. So because, of course, the decrim movement was alive and kicking, and then suddenly COVID kicked in. And, of course, like this whole kind of public speaking, like public places. I mean, I think Melissa also talked about this, uh, where you could just go and gather and, and, like, you know, talk to people this suddenly stopped like out of the blue so what were your strategies um when you couldn't yeah when you just had to stop gathering a lot of people you know around somebody talking about this so what 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 are or were your COVID strategies to reach people um social media Mm -hmm. and zoom calls Mm -hmm. good email chains and just keeping everybody aware if there's any any changes with what comes down with the human and health committee and when we might possibly be able to testify in the future. So just keeping everybody, you know, ready and engaged and yeah, the, you know, the public campaign really just took a backseat to uh, first educating the aldermen without kind of, you know, coming around the other side and smacking them in the face with a big public campaign so that was kind of um, the strategy here and and but that's that's most definitely coming and events will be coming and sent right i mean you gather and you can talk you know deliver a message with with people face to face like that is still where i think a lot of the magic happens mm-hmm. like, this is great but you know if you're sitting you know face to face across from each other granted even if it's six feet um, it's just much better, you know. So I'm looking forward to, to when that happens and, and um, letting everybody know where we'll be and, and uh, engaging with people. I mean, what is your favorite or your, your best argument if somebody says, well, psychedelics is something that's just crazy making and it's from the 60s and it's from hippies, so we better don't touch it anymore, which surprisingly a lot of people i mean even in europe kind of have in the back of their mind if they hear the word psychedelics these days right yeah and that's the stigma right that's been yeah i would just say like i have a in my notes it's, it's called publications for the haters and i usually just oh. copy and paste that whenever i get it and then send it to them and they can make their own judgment it's from john hopkins university and mm-hmm. there's a lot of publications you know and it's hard Hard to ignore that. And I think if you educate them a little bit on why these, you know, medicines were criminalized in the first place, it wasn't because of science. It wasn't as if these these medicines were showing that they were, you know, really, really bad for us and had a high addiction rate and no medicinal 
value whatsoever. It's we're showing the exact opposite. So, you know, the Nixon with the war on drugs and a lot of these, a lot of these movements as well as, you know, the counterculture movement, it, it was just the perfect storm for them to, you know, continue to enslave certain communities, you know, mm-hmm. communities of color and, and minorities. And so it's, it's been a really, I know it's been a long fight. I'm just joining this fight and just getting educated as well. Um, but you can see how this has been going on for a really, really long time. And you have people serving close to life sentences for less than an ounce of marijuana in jail still. So mm-hmm. it's, um, again, just showing people and talking to them and delivering a message about science. Like, for example, when I talk to TBI patients, I have this image, you know, saved on my phone of, from the Beckley Institute about the right and left brain hemispheres communicating a placebo and then right. the brain on mm-hmm. psilocybin. And it's hard to ignore that image, you know, um, and that usually leads into a conversation. And then I, I don't, you know, put my happiness and it's not dependent on somebody convincing somebody. It's just showing them the information and then they can make their own educated decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was your, what would you say was your main, if you want to talk about this main experience in your own psychedelic or like psilocybin trip experience? What did it, what do you mean by main? Like what did well, it, I mean, the, um, the thing is, I, I thought, yeah, yeah. I mean, I find often it's like there's one or two things that are really I mean, probably the, the things that become very transformative after this or after like putting them into integration. So, and I mean, sometimes I think it, it, it takes a while until you realize what it really was. But so, um, yeah, I mean, it would be great if you could talk about what for you was the main in, like insight or like the main thing where you from, you took this as a new beginning for your, for your life, actually, maybe. Yeah, so I was lost before I went there, really depressed, suicidal. And the medicine tends to show you and exasperate exactly what's wrong. So it was a new place that I was at, and I you know, just took this medicine. And I, caught, I found myself caught in a loop for 90 minutes where I didn't quite know where I was. And, um, you know, I was kind of working something out definitely some like really bad energy but that after i was done with that kind of 90 minute you know it it was like it was really difficult um but it showed me it confirmed how i felt that i was definitely lost and i didn't know which way to go or what to do or what treatment to do or next job to take and Mm -hmm. um and then you know after that I went back and I was there to learn about farming. And and so I started farming and then, you know, I started taking CBD along with medicinal mushrooms and this medicine in a microdose form. And I just started to get better. Um, and, and I committed to that. And as I started to get better, things started to change for me a month later, even two months later. Um, specifically, I remember an event where I was driving out to my plants And, um, it was, you know, they were probably about like two and a half feet or so. And I had a thought like, wow, a really good job, Dan. And I was just, uh, kind of dumbfounded because I never used to speak to myself that way. And that was something that all of a sudden, for some reason changed. 
um, I started again, I mentioned it before, but communicating with my wife more and just, you know, getting more connected instead of wanting to be disconnected. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so those were some really major things. And then I started to get like really creative. You know, I can multitask really well now. Um, I just feel as if like my brain health is, is, has been better than it ever has been. And I keep getting better. So that's really exciting. And, you know, there's certain protocols that I follow that have been working for me. And, you know, it's, um, just, it's been like a really, just a really amazing turnaround. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's the medicine is, um, if you can, you know, luckily I've, I've had a lot of talk therapy, so I kind of knew like what to look for as far as trying to integrate the lessons that I saw and take the lessons and set the intention and, you know, manage the dose and the setting was managed. So everything was responsibly done, but yeah, there was definitely things afterwards, weeks after that, that were popping up still. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, like coming back to the decrim movements, I mean, of course, every place has this, has their own specific requirements. I mean, obviously if you're in Washington, <laughs> you can't imagine what your, <laughs> the things are going to be, you're mostly going to encounter. So, but I mean, Chicago is, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I just, I have no feeling like how the city is embracing these kind of movements. Because, I mean, Oregon, of course, it's like it's always been more like, an, let's say, a place that was always very open for these things. But Chicago seems to me like a very, I mean, besides the old mafia movies that you know, <laughs> it seems to be like a very business-ish driven city. So how how is it to do this in Chicago, like in, in, in a kind of a, I mean, it's, it's not California, like where everybody's like, whoa, shrooms, let's go do shrooms and go to the desert. So it's a whole different thing. So how do you approach Chicago and mushrooms? Yeah, I mean, I know I keep coming back to it, but I think um, we just, I always lead with like my social media, um, always leading with you know, articles that are coming out in, in, um, you know, pharmacology publications and again, just leading with science and like letting people know too that I think a lot of people in this, in this city are concerned with the recidivism rate and obviously the opiate crisis, but this medicine doesn't need to be just for sick people as well. You know, it can make you more creative and optimize your brain health and help with anti-aging and it's being researched for <clears throat> neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. So it's, you know, it's, it's not just a, um, a one trick pony, so to speak. And there's lots of companies now private and public, you know, studying these, these compounds in human trials. So in, in some ways you can be lucky. Um, obviously we're all stigmatized towards it, but I think that if you lead with, that information that I've been talking about as far as data and science goes and you, and you can put together a really poignant campaign to just show people, number one, the safety and efficacy of it first and foremost, then, then you can start talking about um, how many great advantages it would, it would have within the community um, and the jobs that it would create and the healing that it would promote. So um, that would be, you know, the biggest thing that, that we're going to try to do when we, when we do initiate that public aspect to the campaign. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you interact a lot with the other decrim kind of 
movements or centers? Do you connect to each other on a regular basis? Yeah. Yeah, we have um, we have these weekly, monthly calls, uh, as well as I've offered my testimony to the decriminalized DC mm -hmm. movement, the board of, board of elections, and so there's a lot of uh, parallels, and we try to support each other as a community and and just um, uplift. And just recently submitted some written testimony for Ann Arbor, so um, Ann Arbor nature there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been um, you know a really great community to be a part of, kind of like you know, a second team, so to speak. So that means there's a whole, you could say, like, network all over the country that in the end is going to be almost like a like a net over, over nor I mean, America, like where every city has their decrim movement. Is, is that kind of the, the aim of this? Yeah, there's a lot of movements popping up. Yeah, and we're just all trying to support each other and When one is successful, I think that's why we tried to, you know, model something after this, the DC campaign. And mm -hmm. um, we're going to learn a lot from that. And then we can kind of uh, just spread out like a mycelium network, if you will, and um, just provide information and support and and change that stigma, you know, and show people how safe and, and transformative this medicine really is. And what is your, let's say, vision for this in a couple of years? I mean hopefully after a new government <laughs> has taken over America, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, the vision would be for everybody to have access to this medicine and mm -hmm. people not to be thrown in prison for growing it and, and using it responsibly, whether that's the clinical model, which I'm sure will mm -hmm. come through, whether that's the pharmaceutical model over-the-counter Um, uh, prescriptions, whether that's growing it in, in the comfort of your own home and administering the medicine whenever you want to or whenever you feel necessary. I think all of these models can live. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that they all work together for the common goal. I mean, if you're not in this to help as many people as possible and support as many movements as possible, even though they might you know, not necessarily be the same as yours, then I think they're doing it for the wrong reason. So just trying to, you know, up, uplift and, and um, shine light on, on every, everybody and, and everyone that's coming together doing really amazing work. So I find it interesting what you just said also, and also in terms of how you self got to kind of, let's say, familiar with this. Like you had, first you had somebody leading you to this, let's say, high-dose psilocybin um, experience that changed a lot. But then you also try to almost like customize your um, your own very personal kind of medication. It's like a big word, but like rather plant intake. <laughs> so and It's medication for sure. I well, I mean... It, I treat it as medication. Yeah, but I mean, I find it interesting what you said because I think at the moment... It's the first time when that when you said it that, that I th I mean a couple of times I thought about it but now in in your case it's so interesting to see how one could start with a couple of let's say lessons how this can work in in your life or for your life but then you can also kind of find your way through a very personal kind of use without being of course kind of abuse it which is I don't think much not very possible with psilocybin because we know from the 
signs that it doesn't have your usual addiction structure. And then I also heard from a couple of scientists that we talked to, the, often, the more often you do it, like if you would do it very, very often and in a very high dose, you wouldn't experience the high dose anymore in a way. So, and um, do you think that this will be at one point a model that we have like um, like a very personalized kind of use of, of plant-based medicine? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I think that, again, this is a tool that can be used responsibly within a holistic lifestyle. And mm -hmm. I mean, I take my capsules in the morning on an empty stomach, uh, some most times in the afternoon as well, just to break my fast. So that's another tool. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think just somebody there to tell you about that and guide you, not necessarily just hand you a bottle of pills over the counter, but yeah. there's always instructions that can come along with it. And yeah, these, these mushrooms are amazing. You know, they, they communicate and they, they know, you know, they have this like safety mechanism built in, which is tolerance and, If you take too much, then you're not going to feel the effects, you know. Yeah. So, um, again, responsible use, responsible dosing, definitely education about different dosing regimens because there are proven, have been proven a um, couple handful of, of different dosing regimens. And then just trying it out on your own because the reality is there's little little to no side effects with the medicine that they, they can see. And so I think it's important to, because it's so individualized, to, you know, try each protocol yourself and just see, gauge how you feel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully we get to a point where there's a lot of education about different strains, especially if people are taking it in a natural setting and not through a pharmaceutical model um, because different strains do different things. And so, so yeah, there's, there's lots, of, lots of work to be done for sure. But the number one I think, key issue is just responsibly done. You know, let's, let's, not, let's not mess this up. Mm. Well, that's a good, um, kind of a good last words. Let's not mess this up. <laughs> this goes for the whole movement. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for doing this. Although you have a lot of kid stuff on your hands right now <laughs> at four o'clock. Is it five o'clock almost at your place? Oh yeah, I got, I got five. I got five of them behind me right now. So Okay. Uh, wow. It's all good. It's, it's, um, yeah, this, this was great. So appreciate the conversation. No, of course. Thank you. I also saw that your birthday is one day before mine. So it's very go. excited. <laughs> All these psychedelic people have the same birthday. Um, yeah, thank you so right. much. I guess we got to talk about our sign now. Aquarius. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's a typical Aquarius thing, isn't it? I mean, it's like everything comes together in psychedelics. That's super Aquarian. Thank you so much. Have a great day in okay. Chicago. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.